Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today are Carl Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. So we have a great lineup ahead of us today with a strong focus on prop tech and construction technologies. And earlier today, the Currency published a mammoth 7,500 word article on Ireland's prop tech sector. And we're delighted to have one of the featured startups with us in studio. Today, Dr. Hussam Jerby, CEO and founder of Smart PMO. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And this very extensive article has just come out this morning, as we know. So let's just ask you, um, can property technology provide fixes for Ireland's broken housing market? Yes, so, so, you know, the statistics say 75% of construction projects are delayed and 69% run over budget. And these um, overruns are predominantly perceived as inevitable uh, worldwide and in Ireland. Um, and we never learn from uh, previous experiences and previous lessons. If you just Google cost overrun construction sector, you will find hundreds and thousands of examples in Ireland and um, uh, worldwide. Um, and, and currently, uh, there was a recent uh, report from the um, Institute of uh, Economic Research that says that um, um, the current housing uh, prices um, cannot go as high as uh, they are currently. And the only uh, way to fix the housing crisis in Ireland and worldwide is to um, drive down the, the building cost, mm. which is the construction cost. And this is where at Smart PMO we try to use AI and uh, technologies to fix this problem. Yeah, and that's great. Smart PMO is obviously one of the featured businesses in this piece that the current that the currency published this morning. And um, so, maybe for people who aren't aware, the currency is a relatively new publication in Ireland, and it is uh, it was started by some of the the Sunday senior, business the Sunday Business Post editorial senior, team, yeah, exactly. a, a number of those. And to be fair, um, their focus has been very much on long form. Journalism, And that's something that really has been missing from Ireland. So, you know, certainly over the past few months, I've enjoyed features um, like, for example, one of the early pieces they did was a piece with um, it was a, a very detailed interview with Johnny Ronan. And for me, that particular piece really set the tone of what the currency would be, because um, there was about a thousand word lead into the article about the journalist walking into the bar in the mm. Marion Hotel mm. and mm. seeing Johnny Ronan and who he was with and the demeanour of him. It's a complete and feature really, isn't it? It absolutely was, but mm. it was so good that I actually felt I'd been brought into the interview with mm. me. So actually, mm. um, from my point of view, you know, maybe I'm biased, but cer- cer- certainly the currency um, is... Well, it gave a colour. My style of, of mm. publication. I mm. like that feature. I like that level of getting in depth. And mm. actually, um, this piece that came out today was written by uh, Coach Caden. In, uh, she's a journalist there in the currency and I know that she was working on this for months because in fact we were first contacted about this um, maybe three months ago maybe even a little bit longer so that's the type of journalism they do and that's the type of journalism Ireland needs you know it, it's not for the it, it's not the fast easy consume straight out the door um, it's, it's for the more thoughtful pieces and in fact I just saw on their website yesterday that um, uh, Constantine uh, Gerviev He's actually doing a, an interesting series of of articles at the moment, actually cutting through some of the 
some of the um, misleading figures. So, for example, he's actually going to go and break down all of the things like construction costs, you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned there, Hussam, and things like project overruns and the real cost of building and what really goes into the cost of building as opposed to the cost of delivering, you know, taking in taxes, levies, uh, contributions, things like that. So um, from that point of view, the currency really have set the bar and high. This, this is obviously an article that's got quite good insight into the whole um, well, tech. Yeah, again, you know, obviously I might be a little bit biased here, obviously as one of the founders of PropTech Ireland, but it's a seven and a half thousand word article. So I'm going to say it's actually the most comprehensive piece that has been published about the PropTech sector in Ireland um, since the sector really started to emerge over the last four to five years. And um, we might just take a a, a run through because I think it's particularly interesting. It touches on many of the points. You know, again, it's great timing that we had arranged to have uh, Hussam in studio with us today. So that's great, Hussam. You can actually, you know, really we we can get deeply into some of these areas, like, for example, using AI on on data. But I think maybe it's worth taking some time to, to... run through the article because it breaks down the prop tech ecosystem in Ireland under uh, and, uh, five or six main categories and they are essentially um, your uh, smart design, uh, smart build, smart planning um, right through to smart transactions of buying and selling property and smart asset management and actually it goes right through into smart city solutions so again smart city solutions is something we've covered on the show here before we'd hold that's right we'd hold um, hour dedicated to some of the smart city solutions that Dublin smart Dublin and smart Docklands are doing we had Jamie Cudden here with us and his colleague Michael Gearan is actually quoted in this particular article. But they're talking about some really interesting things they're doing with cyclists and and things about um, life-saving on the river and, you know, lots of really innovative ways that technology can improve a city. But I suppose for the purposes of this show, it's worth um, breaking down things like the um, smart planning. So one of the topics that the article covers under smart planning is place engage. Now, that's, uh, that's a using using immersive technologies to allow people to really experience proposed developments before they're built. So and, that, and, and you've got a big feature in this in, in, in terms of that as well, don't you? Yeah, but well, um, we're involved in, in it, it's something that I've been involved in, involved in promoting. And the interesting thing is that we never set out to, we never set out to design an augmented reality solution. We weren't even thinking about the technology. We were kind of stuck on this problem actually for a while. We had a problem where objections to planning were slowing down the delivery of vital new homes and infrastructure. So before we ever even got to thinking about the solution, we were stuck for a while on the problem. Mm-hmm. And in in looking to solve the problem, one of the solutions we came up with was, well, actually, if members of the public were reminded that planning is a public function and if they were given easier access to really understand um, things like what the planning documents were, uh, what the maps meant, you know, how CGI images could be seen in context to the environment and and be given an opportunity to contribute. You know, so if they have a problem with the local development, that they can voice their concerns rather than just getting irate, you know, down at the local super value or at the school gates. You know, so we wanted to fully inform people and then give them somewhere to, to uh, really voice their concerns. And in the course of making sure that people were fully informed, this is where the use of augmented reality came in. So it's interesting, you know, technology, we talk a lot about technology on the show, but I think it's really important to point out that it's only ever an enabler. 
you know, it's it's only mm. ever the enabler. It's not the magic bullet at mm. all. So that was one of the, the one of the things that was discussed in the context of smart planning. But it's really important to know in terms of planning that again we've discussed it previously on the show. Ireland has a new um, office uh, of planning, uh, new planning regulator since April last year. And that planning regulator has been very vocal about wanting to digitise elements of the planning process. So this is just one thing that feeds into digitising mm-hmm. the planning process. So that was just one element of it. In terms of um, the smart transaction, actually Healy Hines of Beagle.io, who has been a regular guest on mm-hmm. the show here before. Now he's... You might recall he's one of the, the very the, interesting, the yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the really interesting guests we've had in studio because he was a, a state agent for a quarter of a century, mm. Mm. and um, and and second generation uh, estate agency, and he actually looked at developing a solution to increase the transparency of buying and selling online mm. by. He's one of the first, was he not? He was absolutely one of the first in Ireland um, to do this, and I know from that as known as well. From the Midlands, that's yeah, right, yeah. and um, and his solution is can be white labelled for individual estate agents. So that's why I think it's proving so popular. Um, but he was certainly one of the first. So now we know we've had Sherry Fitzgerald in, and they're doing their their smart transactions. We've had BidX One who do um, online bidding for auctions. So Beagle Bid actually, from my understanding, and it's been a while since Healy's been in the studio with us. We must correct that. But um, his service uh, offers online bidding for new homes. Um, existing second-hand homes and for uh, au- auctions. So there's there's a range of technologies, but the great solution or the great thing about the solution is that it's plug and play. So it's ready to go. Estate agents all around the country, whether they're franchised or independent agents, just need to plug it in and it works straight away for them. And then suddenly their buyers and sellers are able to transact online 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, and sure. it's a huge move towards transparency. So um, that was covered under the smart transaction. And um, some of the other things they spoke about, um, I'm just actually running through the article again now, you know, one of the other elements was about um, really standard access absolutely Damien Brown down Uh, Damien Brown is one of our uh, westerly most westerly uh, startups really they're probably one of the most evolved uh, prop tech companies now so they can't really be classed as a startup but they're doing really interesting things with transmission of data um, using sound encryption or encrypted sound and in Bucharest as well um, yeah, well, they're they're actually operating worldwide now, and I know they're in the US. I know they're in Portugal. Um, so they're again really interesting company. Standardaccess.co is the website there. So they're featured in this article. Um, some of the really important things that they're doing is that they're really harnessing the power of data, and that's something that Hussein we're going to touch on with you now shortly. Um, but um, they touch on, or, or they they specialize in not just the transmission of data, but then also the storage and the use of data t- for unique insights in terms of asset management. And asset management is such a huge, um, it's it, it's a huge opportunity for prop tech startups right now. There's so many problems to be solved. And as we're seeing the PRS and co-living and student accommodation sectors really, um, really explode here in Ireland, these are the types of technologies that these, uh, that alternative residential accommodation providers need. And, and managing office blocks as well. He's selling the product yep. to those who manage office blocks. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, w- another person featured here is Michelle Ang. Now, Michelle hasn't been in the studio with us yet, but I hope that she will be very soon. Um, 
she was previously with Green Reit and has gone out on her own. So she's one of very few female PropTech founders in Ireland that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and again, her her startup is all about automating much of the asset management, you know, really identifying where the clogs in the system are and addressing that. Um, I, I, and I suppose that brings us really back around to the building because all of, you know, smart transactions, uh, smart transactions, uh, asset management, all of this can only happen if we get the planning and the and the design and the building right. So in terms of the building, Hussein, you're doing something really interesting in terms of construction data at the moment. Um, you touched on it there in your introduction, but I think it's worth reminding listeners here what exactly, what Smart PMO does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so Smart PMO is uh, an artificial intelligence company um, with a mission to de-risk uh, capital projects and uh, really reimagine what's controllable in the uh, construction industry. We use AI um, to learn uh, from historical projects, how they historically performed. Uh, we learn lessons. We try to build collective intelligence based on many projects that were delivered in different locations by different experts, uh, which is really a knowledge that's beyond what um, any single person could possibly experience. And then we extrapolate this knowledge for um, uh, more efficiently planning and uh, delivering future projects so we can then predict unforeseen risks, um, help minimize delays, cost overruns and maximize productivity. Okay, and cost overruns, I mean, look, you already touched on it earlier, but cost overruns is something that's very controversial at the moment. And again, you know, we don't always want to harp back to the children's hospital because cost overruns in Ireland certainly didn't start on public projects, certainly didn't start with um, the children's hospital. And it's universal though as well, really, isn't it? Uh, It is, but I think as... as On on, on major, well, many major projects. And I wonder as part of the problem that we do see it as inevitable. So, for example, you know, Hussein rightly identified that maybe part that's part of the problem that people even politically see project overruns and cost overruns on public projects as inevitable. But it's also, and it's also, it's also true for inflation be. though and material inflation as well though, right? Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so you can't always get it right at, at, at the at budget time when you're when you're well, is, is that a correct assertion to make? Um, well, actually, um, a lot of a lot of the contractors would say when it comes to tendering that actually one of the biggest problems is that procurement stage that maybe the brief isn't stage. right and there yeah. isn't that flexibility in terms of um, their, their fixed contracts. So therefore, they don't allow for inflation and, and cost inflation of um, materials as well. That's part of the problem. So essentially... Uh, because of the length of time uh, from procurement right through to tendering and actually getting out then on site, that actually um, contractors are locked into are locked into contracts where they can't adjust in terms of inflation for um, changing costs of materials. And I suppose like that's that. another problem again, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's it, it's a huge problem, but it's more of a problem with the procurement process as opposed to building costs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. the procurement mm-hmm. process. It's the type of tendering that's happening at the moment. And in fact, the CIF, the Construction Industry Federation, they've been so vocal over the last number of years that, you know, particularly in terms of public contracts, we need to be moving away from this lowest cost tendering. There has to be um, a weighting factor or a weighted factor in, in favour of quality and reputation and consistency, um, you know, and not having a, a reputation and a project history of overruns. And that's something, Hussam, I know 
your technology actually sniffs out things like that. So you might just actually break down those categories because what you're you're designing a solution to what um, public tendering is moving towards, which is not just lowest price, but or not even best price, that it will be best best uh, quality provider. But what are those factors? Yeah, so so if you look at the main uh, factors behind cost overruns, there are multiple, to be honest. So it comes down to um, sometimes inaccurate planning, sometimes inefficient management, sometimes unforeseen risks, uh, lack of information at the tendering stage. Um, but then they all comes down to two main uh, categories. So complexity, okay, uh, construction and capital projects, they're complex by nature. Um, and then all the uncertainty around these um, projects, which is um, actually augmented by human subjectivity. As humans, we have a very limited information uh, processing capabilities, and we can't really um, see all the picture um, for a given project upfront. And the idea is to look at the experience uh, of different projects that were delivered in different locations by different experts, and then um, try to detect lessons um, from across the life cycle of the project, from planning to procurement to design to construction to commissioning to post-project, learn these lessons and then offer these lessons for next projects to avoid problems. Okay, you see... You've covered an awful lot there, but some of those are very big issues and we don't know in terms of benchmarking, should we be benchmarking against best practice in Ireland or outside of Ireland? But we need to take a quick break now. But uh, Hussam, I know you're going to stay with us. We'll be back after a quick break with uh, Dr. Hussam Jerby to discuss more about what needs to be done in terms of the procurement and how we can affect change. Stay tuned. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. And you're welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tyler and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email at I, hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break, we're now back with CEO and founder of Smart PMO, Dr. Hussein Jerby. So, uh, Hussein, just before the break there, we were talking about best practice in Ireland. Uh, and what would you, uh, benchmarking as well, what would you regard now as best uh, best uh, benchmarking against best practice in Ireland vis-a-vis international. Okay, so so that's the power of AI, right? Um, if you feed AI with data about projects from the Irish sector and then other sectors like UK, US, Sweden, EU, Africa, Middle East, etc., AI has the capabilities to benchmark these projects together. So first it will group these projects into um, um, groups that are similar to each other. When we say similar here, it's about how these projects perform, the circumstances around these projects, the behavior of the different stakeholders um, uh, of these projects, contractors, suppliers, um, variables um, uh, and context of these projects in terms of weather, procurement policies, etc. So AI will be capable to benchmark these projects based on a large amount of uh, signals and uh, information. And then then it will um, only use projects from the same group, from mm-hmm. the same group of benchmark to actually 
uh, do arrive lessons and share lessons. Oh, okay, and just for anybody who's just joining us, uh, we are indeed here with uh, Dr. Hussein Jerby to discuss artificial intelligence and the application of this against Irish construction data. And I know at the moment you're um, you're involved in a trial a trial project at the moment to essentially take in Irish construction data so that we have unique data that we're not depending on international data. So you might just explain a little bit about that and how people can get involved. Yeah, so so the, the, the Ireland uh, Construction Data Project, it's, um, uh, it's, it's really a first of its kind in Ireland. We are partnering in Smart PMO, we are partnering with uh, large um, construction contractors and um, and construction project and cost management consultancies who are uh, who choose to share their data in um, a secure and anonymous manner to uh, benefit from uh, market collective intelligence in return. So uh, each partner will uh, share their data through our secured um, uh, platform and then we will use AI to derive insights from the industry-level data and then feedback these partners with unique insights to help them deliver uh, their projects uh, better. So, um, so this is very much about the power of collective. Uh, we're working together to improve the outcomes of the industry with respect and the need to maintain uh, privacy and confidentiality of each uh, single business. Okay, that's a that's a really important point because I've actually spoken to some of the companies um, around construction data and why it's important to do this. And I think, you know, maybe Hussam, you're obviously operating at a very high technical level. I'm not, so I'm I'm going to break it down maybe for listeners, and mm-hmm. you you tell me if I'm getting this right in terms of understanding, because uh, one of the biggest concerns people have at the moment is around GDPR and about um, maybe the potential hazards of dealing with and then sharing data. However, in order to feed into this project, people are actually just um, sharing anonymized data. So there's nothing. So there's no GDPR um, issues there. But am I right in saying that actually your tool is actually just a, a layer of analytics that sits on top of whatever project management tool. Because most Irish contractors and certainly cost consultants um, and and uh, quantity surveyors, they would be using construction project management uh, tools. Mm-hmm. So you're not suggesting a change of that. You're just applying a layer of analytics that sits on top of that and collects high level anonymized data. Absolutely. So we work with every single partner to collect their data through our uh, proprietary in-house data integration tools. We get their uh, project management data put it into our um, um, uh, construction database, Um, but we actually um, propose uh, two options to that. So there are uh, companies who choose and uh, uh, agree to to share their data for this uh, collective intelligence uh, project. We will actually sit down with these companies and identify um, some of the enterprise-specific data that will stay local. They will not be shared with the um, uh, industry database and then the other data will go into the industry database but it will undergo different steps starting by segregation when we separate uh, this data into two parts um, enterprise specific and shareable data and then we do anonymization we do tokenization um, and then we do aggregation and then we share this aggregated secured anonymized data to the to the to the to the industry database 
And we use AI and different in-house algorithms to derive intelligence, and then we only share the intelligence to the other partners. Mm. We never share data okay. to the other partners. But then how will it contribute then to the improvement of the Irish construction sector? Sorry? How will it improve then the, um, the how will it make contribute, sorry, to the, the uh, improvement of the Irish construction sector? Yeah, so our vision uh, from this project, it's really to sustainably increase the affordability of um, construction and infrastructure projects. Um, um, and the means of increasing affordability, it's by de-risking um, these projects and, um, and, and increasing the confidence of investors. Because currently, investment into the construction sector, it's more uh, um, operating under a broken system of uh, intuitions. So by collecting this uh, industry-level data and building the collective intelligence, we can, for example, predict unforeseen risks based on the experience share, of different obviously. companies yes yeah. and then um, and then assist different companies through their their projects think of this as um, Google Maps right yeah. if you are uh, going to a given destination that you haven't been there uh, uh, before so Google Maps will aggregate the experience of different people that went through this uh, same um, uh, route and then it will assist you during your journey. It will predict congestions, it will predict delays, it will uh, recommend right. alternative routes, etc. How, how well developed is AI internationally in construction in comparison to here? So, so there are different AI applications in the construction sector, as, as Carol mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, AI is more developed uh, uh, when it comes to um, uh, BMS, uh, asset management and building management systems, uh, in terms maybe of um, other, other technology, but, but there is very, very, very little investment into AI for project management and project planning for construction. And why is that, do you think? I think it's about... Um, um, the the business itself. So it's slow to change, is it? Or is yeah. It so you know, AI is the last digitized sector uh, after uh, agriculture, um, and and um, uh, and digitization and the introduction of dif different technologies in to the construction sector. It's been uh, going uh, on for the last decades, but very very slowly. Mm. Maybe Carol, you come into this when 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 um, when Hussein mentions the collective. Um, in collective intelligence, I'm just wondering, could that be applied not just to local projects but internationally as well? From, yeah, from a, from absolutely. a sort of blueprint. Absolutely, and in fact, Hussam has been involved. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Are you free to speak about maybe some of your uh, uh, Middle Eastern projects that you've been involved in? Because I think there's significant learnings for the Irish construction sector mm. in that. Yeah, we were involved with a government agency to um, the application of our AI technology for their large project portfolio of uh, design, construction, and maintenance of roads, uh, tunnels, and bridges. Right. So yeah. it's, well, it's, that's it's, what I was actually thinking of, too, mm. in, in relation to Britain now, this new uh, high-speed train. That yes, and, you know, um, from, from my our experience working with different and talking to, speaking to different clients in different construction sectors, from water to infrastructure, transportation, residential, commercial, across different sec um, markets and countries, problems are really the same. Maybe yeah. specifics of these problems will change according to the, to the country, to the culture, to the policies, but most of the people are uh, 
or know that they they don't have really objective data that they can use in uh, with in a confident way to take uh, decisions. Uh, most of the people know that they 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 will have. Uh, problems during the projects that they cannot predict because construction projects are not predictable, mm -hmm. and and these these problems actually are causing delays. These problems are causing um, cost overruns, uh, etc. So um, back to our experience in the Middle East. So the the government agency were able to. Um, uh, save deal, uh, 68%, reduce their delays by 68%, and then save 7.2% of the cost of their project portfolio worth 13.5 uh, billion euros. Um, and, and this was uh, through the introduction of AI from the planning of the projects, the procurement, and then um, the operation and the execution, the delivery of the live projects. Very good. And I, I think just because I want this to be practical for any of the contractors listening in or for any of the cost consultants listening in or any of the um, the uh, construction consultants, I, I think it's worth breaking down what data is required because, and, and just to give an example of the types of misunderstandings that are out there, um, I, I actually had a conversation with one person who was involved in about 50 or 60 projects and um, he felt that there was too much data for him to be able oh, to yeah. contribute it. And the interesting thing was when Hussam actually broke it down and said, well, actually, no, the problem is we don't have enough data. So you might just, for people who are listening in and they're wondering, you know, do they have enough to contribute? What types of data? Can we get a little bit specific about what you need to receive and the, qu the quantities and then how, how that will benefit individual businesses that are contributing to the project? Yeah, that's a good question because any discussion about AI comes down to discussion about data. Uh, correct. So um, at Smart PMO, we mainly use schedule and cost data. If you are uh, a contractor or even a client um, who is who has construction projects, you will definitely have uh, data about your project management. You need to you will have data about the initial schedule program of your construction project, and then during the project you will be tracking the progress of the different activities of your project. This is what we uh, mean by schedule data, and then also. So this is uh, about performance of the project, and then you will have same about budget. So you'll have initial budget for the construction projects broken down by activity, and then you will have the cost, the actual cost against each activity. So this is mainly the data we use. Um, sometimes we work with clients who will have, um, given their speciality or sector, some extra data. If you work, if you work with uh, a client in the uh, transportation domain, he might have data about road conditions, for example, that we might use as as, as another extra layer of data. Um, um, sometimes, for example, um, some builders and contractors will have uh, health and safety data, but we can run our AI technology just based on schedule and cost data only. Okay, you, we touched on benchmarking already, but I think it's so vital um, and it's something that the best firms, um, not just Ireland, but internationally, the best firms will always try to benchmark. But unfortunately, um, the, the 
there isn't maybe the information there to benchmark against. So what uh, ends up happening is that they're benchmarking against themselves. And there's an inherent value in doing that as well in terms of continuous improvement. It's mm. important. Mm-hmm. But um, for this particular project, will you will you enable firms to benchmark their project performance in a given year against maybe the Irish industry standard? Yes, so so th- for, for this, for Ireland Data Construction Project, we will help companies benchmark uh, their individual projects against the industry uh, to reveal the strengths and weaknesses of their projects. And again here, uh, there are two options. We can help them benchmark their projects against the Irish market, but also through AI, we can provide them with more customized and more efficient benchmarking by only benchmarking their projects against similar projects um, uh, so they can really get um, objective view of of, of the performance of these projects. Okay, Okay. this might be quite an unfair question um, when I know you're only rolling out this in Ireland, but you mentioned there um, in the Middle East, the previous project experience you had, you said that there was, uh, it reduced the cost delays by 68%, which reduced the cost to the portfolio of 7%. yeah. So, I mean, is it fair to expect they're the kind of results you'd be aiming for in the Irish market? Is that is that reasonable? Well, we definitely expect to have uh, cost reduction and delay uh, reduction through this AI technology. In terms of numbers, the numbers we predict will be between um, maybe um, around 10 to 20%. In terms of time delays? In terms of time delays. Right. And then 15 to 25% in terms of cost reduction. How, how is that skewed compared to the experience in the Middle East? So that the, the cost savings will be so much more maybe than the time delays? Yeah, because, um, because our involvement for the Middle East uh, um, project portfolio was for a very specific um, sector, which is road uh, tunnels and bridges. And um, the impact that AI can have really depends on the current status of your project portfolio okay. and then also the history of cost uh, loss that you've got already and delays uh, that you've got, etc. And when we intervened with the Middle East client, we intervened on the design, construction and maintenance only uh, uh, phases of the project. But since then, we have elaborated our our platform and it now could be applied for the procurement phase, planning procurement phase, and then for design, construction and maintenance. And even after the project is delivered, we help with what we call post-mortem analysis to help strategy makers and policy makers and the corporate performance units to understand what went wrong with their projects, why it went wrong, and how to make things okay. better in the future. So it's by covering um, uh, larger um, uh, stages of the project life cycle where we can bring more value. Okay, well, before we finish up, Hussam, who needs to be contacting you about this project? You know, for our listeners here, whether they're spread across the planning, construction and property industries, who needs to be reaching out to you about this project? Well, essentially, uh, large construction contractors and their clients, uh, both, and then project management and cost management consultancies. We work with, uh, with all these parties in terms of the Ireland Data Construction Project. And just to remind that we've got two types of offers. We work with these uh, com- companies 
uh, in terms of a data sharing agreement that's um, that's um, we've got we've got um, a, um, a data architecture that was designed by our international expert in data protection but then for those who choose to work uh, only based on their data we also work with these uh, people so our platform will offer a single party data processing framework where a given client data is collected and processed locally and only the intelligence that's derived from their data will be shared with, with, with that client. Perfect. How can people get in contact with you? So they, they can contact us through our uh, website, smartpmo.io, or just drop us an email to info at smartpmo.io. That's perfect. Thank you so much. That was CEO and founder of Smart PMO, Dr. Hussam Jerby. Um, it, it, it's a fascinating area. It's no, it's one that we know we need to focus on uh, as we approach the next decade. So best of luck with that project and we look forward to hearing how it progresses. We're going to take another quick break after which we'll be back speaking to Porig Nylon, CEO and co-founder of Adjust. Stay tuned. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tanner and myself, Brian Fox. As mentioned before the break, now we're joined by Porik Nalan, CEO and co-founder of Adjust. Uh, thank you for joining us, Porik. And I just want to point out that the spelling of that is A-D-D-J-U-S-T, not A-D-G-U-S-T. Correct. So yeah. let's talk about the importance of contracts and financial management in projects before we anywhere yeah I guess I you know it's uh, my background is as a quantity surveyor so um, I, I suppose cost was always hammering to us as the reason that the raison d'etre in construction and you know I mean property has been built for monetary you know there's, there's a monetary angle um, at every at every at every uh, course, turn yeah. I guess and yeah. then built into that then are obviously the legal side of things in the contract so as quantity surveyors and as contract administrators this is something you know during my years of working would constantly, you know, come up against, and you know, in terms of uh, one of the big frustrations I always had was when clients were kind of contacting us, and it was really the big thing was, you know, there's there's a nervousness when contracts and when buildings are in in flow, when nobody really knows where it actually stands in terms of, you know, the value and where, you know, are we are we way over? I mean, we're all familiar with the Durham Bannon side of things, and where, you know. Nobody knows exactly where the actual costs are, so this is where Adjust is kind of uh, culminated out of. Very good. When did you when did you establish the company? So in 2017, um, we commenced uh, work. Uh, we applied to NDRC. Uh, we were successful in getting on their um, launchpad program. Um, we applied for CSF funding with Enterprise Ireland. So that was still in 2017. So. In 2018, we got our first client, which was Dublin City Council, and we have developed out a product with them, and uh, which is on trial or has uh, completed its trial and is ready to. Uh, so, uh, like essentially, we have two products, both around contract management and financial management of construction projects. So, the, the first are they both for the public sector? Public and private. Uh, um, our uh, primary, uh, the, the first product is called Term Pay, and that's for managing basically uh, a high volume of. Uh, small projects over the course of a framework. So, for example, Dublin City Council would spend 36 million a year um, refurbishing about a thousand houses per year. And as you can imagine, each one of those contracts requires a huge amount of paperwork, and a huge amount of communication, you know, a huge amount of 
data as well. So uh, our system basically manages all that, removes email, removes uh, all of those um, things from from the process and streamlines the process uh, for them. Is that the is that the nature of the trial you were doing, say, with the Dublin yeah. City Council? That's it exactly. And uh, can you talk us through that? Mm. Yeah. So d- through the tr- the trial yeah. process. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, essentially, I mean, we're obviously based in, in West Clare, um, and but we would have had quite a lot of engagement up up and down to Dublin with with uh, the City Council, and we basically went out and. Um, so our our software brings in the contractors, it brings in the quantity surveyors, it brings in the architect, it brings in the clerk of works who's out on site. Uh, so it brings in all these. So we actually had to go and meet all these, uh, I suppose, actors in in in, in the whole thing. Um, went out, walked through the houses, walked you know with the the clerks of works, um, and really, I suppose, what we were given by them at the very start. We actually almost developed. Uh, they had a process. Some of it was, the amount of duplication was like extraordinary. And again, uh, you can which you'd associate anyway with any bureaucracy. Exactly, you and but you can see why. I guess I mean yeah. it was you know you're two different departments in Dublin City Council, where it was the housing department and the quantity mm-hmm. surveying department. And the big thing what we saw was the the lack of interconnectedness, mm-hmm. uh, even with the guys out on site. Um, so what the, what the trial was really successful in was actually bringing all of these parties together. And it might sound like a simple thing, but uh, the software uh, gave them a reason to actually sit around the table. And, and how, how how was their reaction to that then? In, in, in sort of coming together like Good. that. It was, I mean, it's amazing how, uh, like, what we learned from, there was a lot of frustration in all the different um, silos within the, the mm-hmm. and it's amazing, I mean, I remember at the end of one of the meetings, one of the, the senior QS kind of just said, God, this was really good. <laughs> you so know, did they put up any resistance to it at all then, in terms no, of their own sort of department yeah, and so I, forth? I, I don't think so, because I think they saw mm-hmm. the, the value in, in what was being achieved. Um, I mean, particularly, we, one of the, um, one of the uh, areas where we thought we might hit a bit of resistance was with the contractors. So we brought in the contractors and sat down with them and went through the software. And like our philosophy building software is that software should not make your life more difficult. If the software takes more than one day's training, it doesn't work. That's that's our strong philosophy. You know, we're really, really focused on design and UI, UX. It, you know, it has to be intuitive. If it's not intuitive, it doesn't work. Software doesn't work unless it's used. And if it's not used, you know, you don't gather the data, you don't get all the good things. So, like, within 20 minutes, every one of the contractors... Was on board. Got the picture, on board. They had a small bit of extra work to do, like, in terms of lodging certs and stuff like that. But the trade-off versus what they were saving in, in, in yeah. time and frustration and streamlining the process was was... Was really good. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to figure out where the points of res- resistance are because you've hit on something really important for any digital transformation across any sector in the real estate sector, whether it's planning construction or property, is not exempt from this. You do need, there are so many players involved mm-hmm. and you do need all of them to buy in. Yeah. And for digital transformation, that's not a given, particularly when you're working across the public and private sector. Yeah. So uh, actually, my first question is, why did you anticipate that there would be resistance from the contractors? Uh, because I've worked uh, on, as a quantity surveyor for contractors and I've worked for clients, so I've worked on both sides of the fence. But um, why did you think they'd resist? Was it about the technology or was it about the process? I think it was more about, I mean, uh, look, I suppose there's no getting away from uh, the fact the construction industry can be a bit of a dirty, murky world out there. And this was really driving a load of transparency. But I think that, you know, that. That's uh, interesting now, isn't the, it? The, 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 the is process of, um, I suppose, the, the, by defining the process and giving it really, making it really clear and really, the like clarity uh, is is one of the things that 
I believe kind of leads to good contracts. And it's it's one of those things that once they saw what was happening, everyone could see what the process was. There's buy-in then, and then it's it's not worth you know, like mm. like the trade off of actually getting a job done and getting out, getting so paid. they kind of welcome transparency then. Exactly, I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Am I naive to think that we've moved past the days of destru- uh, describing construction as a as a murky? I think industry? we're moving that way. I wouldn't say we're there yet, but I would think that we're moving there. I mean the. Like uh, the, I mean, when people mention a contract, people, uh, you know, straight away would have always thought, you know, of a nutritional type of a thing that it's me versus them. Whereas our our philosophy is like, you know, the good contract is a collaborative contract. It's where everyone benefits. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a good contract for me was always where a contractor made a decent decent bit of profit. Mm-hmm. The client was happy with that; they got value, and the architect or the quantity surveyor's mm-hmm. uh, business didn't close down over. <laughs> you know, so that was a good contract, and that was usually. What we found was, or what I found was, that was usually down to an architect, really, or a quantity surveyor, or a contractor being really good in communication. And it's something we've put at the centre of our um, of our products uh, is uh, instant messaging, where like email is not a project management tool. Um, it was never designed to be a project management tool, and it, it it's a communication method, but it doesn't actually um, manage a project, or it's 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 kind of a, it's a bit like trying to, you know, drive a screw in with, with a hammer or trying to hit a nail with a screwdriver is the wrong tool yeah. for, the, for the wrong job, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one, actually, to not just the role of communications in this, but actually the increased transparency acts works well for everybody, yeah. you know, and, and we can see in terms of construction now with the introduction of the of Siri, the yeah. construction industry uh, registration, that quality the focus is on quality it's on transparency and in fact increasingly onerous tendering procedures demand that so anybody you know the gap between maybe what you're describing as the industry of the past Mm -hmm. and a contemporary quality driven industry you know I think the gap between them is widening and so I do want to believe that we're moving on Mm. but I wonder in terms of the conversation does the conversation because you're right when you talk talk about um, contracts construction contracts you know in the past being very adversarial Mm. you know that's absolutely true so is it a case that each party maybe goes in on the defensive because with the lack of transparency, you have a trust issue, whereas greater transparency means trust, more trust can be assumed and then people can uh, take the defensiveness out of it and concentrate on value. And mm-hmm. maybe value is where we need to be focusing. I think so. And I think, um, as you mentioned there with, with Hossem, the, um, you know, the, I suppose the tendering procedure, the procurement procedures um, in the past have been you know, very much l- low cost and you know, straight away when a contractor wins um, a tender, they're straight away going, oh, am I too low here? I need to make money back. And that's where the problem starts. Whereas if um, if there's a more, a broader uh, procurement uh, criteria in terms of quality and being able to measure that and, you know, if you've got a list there, I mean, one of the things we've done for Dublin City Council is we've automated their procurement of mm-hmm. um, those small jobs because we have, you know, we have the 51,000 uh, price line items from all those contractors lodged in our system. As soon as the scope of works is is you know uh, produced, mm. we automatically know which contractor is cheapest. We can we can tell how fast they've completed other projects. We can tell uh, what their uh, you know average cost overrun is per per project. So you're not just going to the lowest uh, the, the lowest price. You're kind of uh, looking at other factors. Which is, and, and is have there been any other local authorities that have taken up after? Uh, yeah, so we're in TCC. we're in negotiations with uh, quite a few public 
procurement guidelines are, are um, have to be followed. Um, we are uh, very close with uh, two others. Um, Under negotiation, obviously. At the yeah, well, so it can't exa- <laughs> exactly no, no, no because in, in case somebody comes in from the side and, 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 and yeah, sweeps us. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, we've we've met we've met about uh, eleven of the the housing. Um, and I mean uh, this. I mean, not to make this kind of too too uh, too broad a thing, but it's it's it, this is kind of directly tied to you know like the housing crisis at the yeah, minute because we, we can actually um, our software uh, by automatically procuring. Uh, this is the 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 prices. We're saving two weeks off the old um, for each individual property. So we're taking two weeks. What used to take two weeks to price that job to reprice it. Essentially, we're automating that. So that's taking two weeks off the the leading time for these houses to be released as well. So that's yeah. in, that's More one money of the real in the pocket for, for for someone. Yeah, and it's one of the real tangible things that that you can see that mm-hmm. software does deliver uh, versus versus the manual process. Okay, well then, in terms of you know all of this is feeding into one thing, and that's digitizing the workflows. Mm-hmm. Um, how how ready are the systems? So, you know, you've spoken about local authorities, but whether it's for the public or private sector, mm-hmm. how ready are the systems for digitising? The the systems... For the, workflows at the moment? Yeah, I guess Well, what we've focused on is um, contracts because contracts are essentially workflows. Um, the workflows are already determined in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the framework is already there. It's just been managed... You know, manually, and um, it's you know, it's 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 tailor made for software to, because all of these processes already exist. You know, the industry is following them badly, I would say, um, and I think you know a lot of the industry, uh, you know, bodies that we've met would say similar. Um, but I think that's that. This is where things are moving. We're moving to you know that the workflows are being automated. There's a huge you know we're we're probably a little bit behind other sectors, but. I think we can catch up a lot faster um, in terms of, like, as you said, those systems, once they kind of get in place. Um, I think the private sector is probably moving that little bit faster than, than the public sector, but um, that's, that's... But I suppose to, they're more cost-aware, etc. More cost-aware, and I think they don't have the... Like, public procurement is one of the one of the bugbears across, mm. you know, and, and they will, you know, the people we've spoken to in the public sector will admit that as well. They're, yeah. They're not happy with it. Um, they're not happy with the... With, with, I guess, guess the public procurement procedures and the oh you know, yes, the, the, it's, yeah. it's a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, it's very burdensome. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. all of the local authorities, you know, we've demoed it and they've they want to roll it out, but it's you've internal processes, then you've public procurement processes and stuff like that, and it does take take a lot of time. time yeah. Um, yeah. Your approach is interesting. You know, it's all about the the collaborative technology. Mm-hmm. So, do you plug into other systems that are currently yeah. in use? So we would be plugging into accounting systems and things like that for again. Like if you um, if you think of you know the volume of projects and contracts that you're dealing with and the amount of data that's in within that, we have to be able to plug into other systems. Mm-hmm. Um, we you know we're we're looking at. I mean, the two of the things that we measure are cost and time. We don't we don't have the mechanism for me- measuring quality, but potentially we can link up with somebody else. I mean, you're never going to build the, the, the panacea system. Yeah, I, of course. N- nobody ever is. But I mm. think you definitely integration uh, is 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 without a doubt something that's going to. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I like to hear, um, particularly startups, almost admit that because um, at the moment, one of the frustrations we're seeing fr- across the planning construction and property industries is that companies are being sold solutions. And and here's the thing, each individual solution has merit. Mm-hmm. Each individual solution adds value. Yeah. Uh, they're all addressing problems. Not all problems are yeah. priorities for the business. Absolutely. You know, and there, there needs to be an element of... Um, fitting into a margin 
or being very clear about the value that you yeah. can add. And the best way to do that is by tying into solutions that already exist. Absolutely. Trying to go in as a standalone actually is, is you know, particularly if you're adding extra dashboards, extra apps, yeah. extra things that people have to log in and and um, bring into their workday. Yeah. That's not going to work for for digital for digital transformation across yeah. construction. No, because and, and especially because um, you know if you take the process, we're taking one chunk of the process in terms of you know um, if you go back to like the planning stage of you know at the very concept stage of a project, people are throwing out you know budget figures and stuff like that. We're about five steps down the chain from that. There's about four other mm. steps, and they're you know even we're, we're after the procurement process now. Potentially, we can you know develop out again if we want to run back there, but you know, you've got e-tenders there. You've got um, then, like after our our product, then you're into asset management. So, um, for us to go and try and build that, and I know there are companies out there uh, purporting to be uh, the the you know the, the bells and whistles from start to finish. You know, realistically, they're they're not. You know, and okay. it's um, yeah. um, so. Look, we we've discussed pri- um, public trials mm-hmm. that you're doing, or public sector trials. Are you involved in any private sector work at the moment? Yeah. So uh, our second product is based is essentially the our our, our primary product in, in a way. Um, it's basically for managing a contract, any contract, you know, over five hundred thousand. And one of the things uh, I was particularly focused on when starting the company was that we develop software not just for huge, you know, mega projects. I would be. I've worked on a lot of you know refurbishment jobs. You know where you know the people, the clients. We, we, like essentially, our software is designed for the clients. We're not. We don't target the contractors in terms of selling. We don't target the architects or quantity surveyors. We target the clients because they're the ones that are. They're the paymasters. Mm. It's their money. So essentially, from anything from you know two hundred fifty thousand euro up, we've designed the software that it can handle so the likes d- of that. So so even an individual self build. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Do you work with any of the mortgage lenders then? You know, because obviously mm-hmm. uh, funding self-builders is something that became quite onerous mm-hmm. um, over the past decade. And I know we're seeing a return to it now, albeit at a small scale. Um, certainly mortgage lenders need to perhaps arguably need better protections in terms of um, the stage payments. I would think so. And uh, I've, I was also um, qualified as a registered building surveyor and would have done stage payment certification myself uh, back in the day. And I would absolutely think, no, we haven't approached them yet because our product is maybe about a month and a half away from being ready. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, they they need to, I would think they need to have more control and more, more visibility mm-hmm. on, you know, how all of those, I mean, you know, I think it's something like 80 to 90 percent of uh, the, the projects that are out there are under four to five million. So they're they're the micro projects. And so that's that's where the massive volume is. OK, so it'll be interesting to see yeah. how that moves out. Best of luck with yeah. that. That was Porig Nyland, uh, CEO and co-founder of Adjust. That's A-D-D-J-U-S-T. Sure. Thank you for speaking with us today. We'd like to thank all of our guests who've joined us on the show today. That's it from us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Thank you to Al Murphy on sound and show producer Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week. From Brian Fox and myself, Carl Tallon, and all the team here, have a great week. 